Good morning, everybody. It is uh, July 16th, 2022. This is Phil Stevens. You're on Iron Radio. I am a coach, a powerlifter, and Highland Games athlete. Hey, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson. I'm a social professor at the Kerrig Institute and teaching for Rocky Mountain University again in fall. So if you want to learn all about athlete monitoring or some cool human performance stuff, check out their program. And yeah, just, uh, I'll be on here for a little while. I'm off to a seminar with uh, Coach Cal Deeds, Chris Corfus, and Dan Victor today. It's day two, learning all about, uh, speed development. And then we'll be down there tomorrow morning again, too. So I was down there last night. Just really, really good stuff. There you go. This is Coach Durrell, the, uh, East version of Strength Field, uh, Strength Field lifting. Actually, the, the only Strength Field official Strength Field gym right now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, here in the KC area. Yeah, I mean, we might as well head right into that. The, uh, it's been a, it's been a hell of a ride. Uh, people kind of went crazy. It's so, I went on a float trip that we take every year with uh, my family, and on the way back, you know, we're just talking, and it's something I've thought about for a while, and uh, that is stepping away from having a, not coaching, but having an open facility, and so we announced that when we got back, that basically we are kind of shutting the doors and restructuring what we got going on in there. As of the 1st of August. And I don't know. It's, it's the, uh, the response has been varied. <laughs> Let's just say that. Um, I went and met Windler last week and the first thing he did is tell me, told me about fucking time. I was wondering when you'd do it and gave me a really nice bottle of whiskey, uh, to congratulate me and to, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, People showing up at my house shit face drunk that haven't been in in seven years demanding that we stay open and that we can't close. So, <laughs> uh, like I said, across the board, but, um, I think the hardest thing for people was, yeah, there was no warning. You know, there's always shit going on in my head that people don't know about. And it's something we thought about for a while. And with my kids growing older and my son getting ready to start football and things like that, uh, I want to be there. You know, I I don't want to be stuck at a gym till eight o'clock at night when my son goes to practice at three. I, I want to see some of that and and things like that. So uh, it's not the end of uh, my facility. I'm still going to have it. Uh, it's just I'm not going to be there every day. So I'll still go and train myself, and then I'm moving more of my attention back to where it was eleven years ago before I opened the place, and that is uh. Dealing more with people at a distance. And then I'll still have this, like if they come into town, um, the ability that we go in and do work. Uh, basically it's going to be the, the most well-equipped private gym in the history of private gyms. So, <laughs> uh, that I can nice. And yeah, I'm looking into other things like we're, I'm already lining up, uh, trying to line up a seminar to throw. And then another thing I'm looking forward to is, one thing I want to get more back into is dealing with kids. So high school, junior high and things like that. So, uh, I'm at least thinking about, uh, having monthly 
days where, okay, come learn weightlifting, come learn powerlifting, and market that towards junior high and high school kids and bring them in and teach them the basics of the sports, you know, getting form down. Like if I can just get kids in from high school and junior high and just work on form that they can then take back uh, to their schools and stuff, uh, that'd be good. And I, and I love that aspect of it. Like I love doing seminars and I, I wouldn't mind doing some, some more of that again, get back to, you know, three to four of those a year, but also free myself up 30 hours a week to maybe eat dinner by at a decent time and not, <laughs> and not you know, cause basically right now, yeah, basically right now it's like, okay, day starts at six or whatever. And then I'm going until, you know, I walk back in the door at eight o'clock at night and then it's like, fuck better get something to eat and get to bed. So, uh, that's just where we're heading right now. And like I said, I'm not, I think the biggest thing for people was it's hard to understand somebody shutting down a business when it's successful. Oh yeah. Like we weren't hurting. Yeah. We were doing very well. So it came as a, a big surprise and, uh, it had nothing to do with the gym or the people. I love all that. It's everything to do with the next step in my life and being able to spend time with my family and, um, push on things like that. And, you know, I'm in that, I'm in a spot now when I first opened, uh, my other endeavors were there to supplement my choices in the strength and conditioning field, because I've always been a, I don't want to just take on everybody. I wouldn't take on a body just to make money. So, uh, the other stuff I do kind of kept food on the table while I was able to still keep the gym how I wanted it. And now it changed to where, you know, the, my other endeavors have become so successful that the gym was supplemental income. So, uh, and I was giving so many hours to that and, uh, it's just a logical move for me for life enjoyment and free time and still being able to coach. Like I said, I'm I'm 100% not going out of coaching. I never will or training. Like I'll still be training, and uh, it's just a transition. I'd like to eventually end up more where Windler's at, where hopefully as the kids grow older, I can help them with with strength and conditioning. Maybe get it connected to their teams and uh, help them. So that's kind of where we're at. So. Oh, <clears throat> I think that's cool. I mean, I think that's always the We've talked about this a lot of times on here before, the catch-22 of fitness, right? I mean, even even now, if you look around, even someone in the online space that uh, people who are just getting into it or have been even doing it for quite a while, the running joke I have with some of my friends is like, oh, yeah, they have a spouse who has health insurance, <laughs> 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 who has, like, yeah. another job that if, you know, the shit hits the fan, eh, you know, it's okay. We can still live. We have a house payment we can make. We have health insurance. But I know when I was working for the <clears throat> medical tech uh, company and still doing fitness stuff on the side many years ago and then worked for them part-time and then eventually, oh, God, was it eight, eight years ago now? Just dropped it all together. It's kind of freaky because then my wife started working for me. We have, you know, a couple of people part time and then you have to buy your own health insurance, which is stupid yeah. expensive. And then you're like, all your eggs are in like this one basket. You're like, Oh shit, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> but it had gotten to the point where 
I, I had to do something because I was, you know, working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. Money was fine, but, yep. you know, if I could drop, you know, 35 hours a week at one other job, I can put that actually into something I enjoy. Yeah. You know, and then once you're there, it's like, okay, you have almost the same problem in the future again of, and for myself, it's like, I love doing one-on-one online coaching with clients. It's great. But it's also, if you're really looking at their programming and you're trying to make it custom to what they're doing, there's always stuff that comes up. And the more clients you have, the more unknowns you're going to just have to deal with. That's just part of it. You know, yeah. so then you've got this, like post COVID, I had 26 clients for a while and the income was great, but I wanted to jump off a cliff somewhere because yeah. like, you would get into your email and it was like, Oh, I thought this is going to be a half hour. It's like four and a half hours later. Yeah. And it wasn't, they weren't bad. They didn't do anything wrong. It was just, everything just happened to fall on that day. Yep. <laughs> and so that's what makes it more difficult too. Yeah. And everybody that I've talked to in the industry that actually works in the industry, very understanding. They're like, Oh, God, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, what took you so long? Yeah. <laughs> it's people outside of it. And it's, like I said, it's nothing against that. I still love. I have a passion for coaching people and things like that. Uh, but uh, it's just going to be a different avenue. And it's figuring out exactly what that avenue is. And like I said, right now, my understanding is that, you know, a few more seminars and some monthly things that are super low cost, like this stuff for kids. I will always, I'm not a big believer in a bunch of free stuff, except for like my Special Olympics kids and stuff. And it's not for the money. It's because if people don't have a little skin in the game, they don't take yeah. it serious. Like if I throw yeah. a totally free seminar, they won't listen. If I make them no. pay twenty dollars, they'll listen. Yep. <laughs> you know? So you gotta have skin in the game. But uh you know, I move on to more of that stuff and like I said, uh just just head that route and see where it goes. And you never know. I mean I'm not selling People are like, oh, oh, he's selling all his equipment and he's liquidating. No, I'm not. I'm keeping it all. So, because <laughs> uh, I'll get ten cents on the dollar. You know? Oh yeah. And then if I want to do it again, there's no saying. I mean, as my kids get older and stuff like that, it may open again. You know, that's down the road. I'll tell you in a few years. So, but I'll have all the stuff. I'm just going to get rid of a couple of the the smaller racks I have that we hardly used anyways. So, do away with that space and. But it's the vast majority of equipment, all the weights and bars. So I'm not getting rid of any weights and bars. So, yeah, that's kind of where yeah. we're at. But. That was my backup plan. God, what, shit, 13 years ago, I actually talked to Wendler to lead FTS. Uh, Eric Crusty's like, yeah, just call Wendler and tell him you need a, you know, you're going to do a garage gym. I'm like, okay. So Wendler was working in sales for Elite FTS then. And mm -hmm. I think we talked about racks and stuff for like 10 minutes, and then it was death metal and why I should use more testosterone. I think that was like the conversation for like two hours, yeah. <laughs> uh, which was fine. It was great. Um, and then my backup plan was I'm like, cause I did train people for a while out of my garage. I was like, well, if this fails horribly, I have a really nice gym in my garage, yeah. you know, yep. and now it kind of morphed into a similar, but on a much smaller scale, like we've got some people flying in the end of this month, a couple people coming in next month. It's like I can just have people come in whenever I want, and yeah. it's just completely private. Most people don't even know about it. I don't have to worry about paying for a space. I don't have to worry about getting a space. You know, all that stuff is taken care of. I have a great place where I get to train, and 
it's paid for. So if it sits there, I don't feel like I have to throw seminars or have to have people come in. It's just yeah. I get to decide, you know, what what works, which is kind of a, a nice optionality to have. Yeah. Like all of us, really, this is just a coaching story. It's just like we sound so antisocial because we're all like, oh, man, how do we get less people around mm-hmm. us? at all times. And that's such a coaching thing. Like, and then, and it really, if you don't, if you haven't coached people, it's hard to, it's really hard to explain that level of like, even with new people, man, it's like, uh, like I can't tell you how many, and it's not like a sales thing. It's just how hard this is. You yeah. know what I mean? Like strength and conditioning in general. Like if you're a, a new person to step in the door and all that stuff versus like, and how hard it is to keep coming? Like, even for a year, like it's yeah. tough. Like, let's say how many people have stayed for a year after their first workout, mm-hmm. and it's like that's just a high failure rate, and for everyone, there's no real way around it, and yeah. particularly socially right now. So, and it's frustrating, and you know, like I, I don't understand the. uh because people look at it as like, like you said, somebody who hasn't trained in seven years. Yeah. He's n- not contributing or whatever. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait, what the heck? That <laughs> <laughs> happened to me too when I shut down the process. Well, I think it's a different story too. Cause one of the questions I've been asked over the last 11 years is like, so what system do you use to uh, give these people their programs? I'm like, system? The fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like I literally handwrite everything. Really? Yeah, every client. You know, they get a personal program, and the shit takes time. You know, uh, it's just something that I've always believed in. It's, it's like if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. And you know, my candle has been lit at both ends for a while. And it's yeah. like let's put out one side for a little bit. You know, put it on the slow burn. But uh. So, and I don't know, at the worst, at worst, it's going to give me more time, energy, and attention I can put on the people I am dealing with. Uh, so, yeah, I'm excited. It'll, it'll be a, it'll be a fun change. And that, that's not saying this was a, like, this was a really, really hard decision for me. Uh, even writing out my post to, to tell everybody, it was like, it was tough because it's basically like a child that I raised. You know, it came from, uh, first just thinking about doing the concept of it to, okay, let's make this reality. And then watching it grow from a single two car garage thing up to where it was. And, uh, so it's like, like anything, you know, your kids grow up and they, they move out of the house and it's time for that change. So, uh, yeah, it'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. So, in other news, I got a took a trip to Boston, and on the way I got to stop in and, and catch up with Windler and Jim and Juliet and learn some neat stuff about uh well we talked about Louis passing got some fun stories there that I probably shouldn't say online but uh I was just gonna say Westside itself we got to talking about that and I was like what's it, what's happening with it you know is it gonna die is it going on and apparently there it is gonna what I figured like Westside's gonna pass with Louie uh 
but they're leaving it open for a couple months. I guess they're paying rent on the space for a few months just as kind of a pilgrimage spot for people to come visit if they want to and see where things happened, and then the doors will shut down. So uh, that's the word I get. So if you want to see Westside, uh, now's the time to do it. And because it's it's not going to be around much longer. But, and I guess they didn't even have a funeral. Louie didn't want one because I asked him. I was like, was that like the strongest funeral in history? He's like, what funeral? Um, so... <laughs> Like there wasn't one. He didn't want one. So I I'm it's actually kind of a relief. I didn't want to see the like now if they like re like somebody came in and was like, I'm a movie disciple and then had his own spin or his or her own spin. Yeah. But I, I kinda like it this way. That way it doesn't get or like his legacy doesn't get kind of destroyed at some, yeah. at some level. Like so yeah, I can't see a West Side without Louie. Like, he was West Side. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just fact. So, anything beyond that would be uh, just wrong. So, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Other than that, I mean, it was good. I took two weeks off of, of squatting anything. My knee had been bugging me, and I went and got some work done on it and uh, got some dry needling done. And that made it feel about 85% better. And then we had the float trip and then my trip to Boston. And now I feel like 99.7%. So this would be my first day squatting. And it's just taken, sometimes it's taken those couple weeks off. It's like listening to your body and uh, uh, going from there. But So we'll go in and squat. And then I have another interesting one. I get to uh, one of my longtime lifters. It's always freak accidents that that hurt people. Not always, but how many times have we heard like a powerlifter he like goes picks up his newborn and like hurts his back or something <laughs> like that? Gina went out while I was away in uh, Boston. My daughter and Gina and a couple other people from the gym went and watched my brother play. Uh, my brother's in the band, you know, the hardcore punk band, and they watched him play. And my daughter and Gina were dancing and. All of a sudden, Gina felt like she got hit with a brick in her ankle, and Achilles tendon popped. So, uh, sorry. Just, just just dancing? Just dancing. Yep. Dancing on the freaking, they were the only two people out there. It's not like somebody ran into her or anything. It just happened. And uh, so, you know, she goes into surgery Monday. She's also an employee of mine. So... That'll be an interesting, I'll help her with recovery from that. So, which I've helped a few people. Um, but, uh, it'd be interesting to see, uh, just, just helping somebody get through that again and seeing how it comes. So, like I told her, this snowball goes fast with tendons. Uh, you know, this happened last Saturday and then she finally got an MRI yesterday or day before yesterday. And once that MRI was in, it was like, okay, let's go, let's go. They want to get tendons reattached. Oh, yeah. Very quickly. Otherwise, I told her that's the way it's going reattaching be. somewhere else. Exactly. <laughs> and it starts building up scar tissue. They got to take off, and so they're rushing her in Monday. She goes in, and uh, you know that's one place I can help at least with some moral support. Being somebody that has had three attendants reattached, it's like it's not the end of the world. It's gonna go quick, and like six months from now, when it's all over, 
you'll be like, right now it's going to feel like everything and forever. But six months from now when you're back rolling again, uh, you'll be good. And it's just one of those things, man. It's You never know when something stupid's going to happen. It's just life-changing. And I don't know, like I've told others about, it's something like this, especially somebody that competes in strongman. Uh, I always tell everybody it's not if, it's when. And if you're not prepared for that, uh, you're in the wrong sport. And, of course, this happened. It didn't happen in strongman. It happened on a dance floor. But uh, it's one of those things. I don't know a, a, a higher-level competitor that hasn't been through something. And this is one of those things, in my opinion, that it's like, okay, we're about to see how important this sport is to you. Because either you're going to get through this and keep going, or uh, this will be it. You know, And there's no right or wrong. Like, no answer to that is wrong. Um, but it's one of those life-testing things that it's like, okay, let's see how you handle this. And uh, Like I said, like anything, it's it's going to feel like a long time in the midst of it. But uh, once it's said and done, it'll just be a little bump in the road. So you know, we'll start start the rehab process here pretty quick. So go from there. I don't know. What do you guys you had to deal with anybody with tendon tears and stuff, Mike? Oh, yeah. I've got one potential new client who uh, blew his bicep, took a hockey stick to it. So I talked to him about, based on stuff you've talked about, too, of, you know, hey, what surgery are they doing? Talk yeah. to your doc. Tell them to make sure you want to be able to go do this sport, you know, again. And if it takes a little bit longer for recovery, you know, pick the path that's more likely to get you back to 100%, not just 85 and. <clears throat> So he's got a good doc. He's working through all that stuff now, and then we're just going to try to him next week and see what's going on. He'll probably sign up as a client, I think. But, yeah, yeah, a lot of that stuff we talked about, too, of, you know, what are your restrictions, you know, for that, you know, in his case, arm, and yeah. then what are your restrictions, whole body, you know, and yeah. just work around that as best you can. Keep working on the strong side. You get some, you know, cross-education. Yep. There's even some wackier stuff with, like, uh, neural coupling. So looking at if it's his right bicep, like looking at his left hamstring, right? Mm -hmm. So the crossbody uh, type stuff. Um, then a lot more work with isometrics and collagen. That's based on Keith Barr, Dr. Shaw's uh, research. Um, even for just preventative and just kind of niggly injuries and stuff. Yeah. And I started using the collagen, God, probably almost three years ago now. And that seems to help. So in theory, you would use you know, 10 to 20 grams of collagen 40 to 60 minutes before exercise. And they've done some work showing that isometric exercise may be more beneficial for that. Okay. So if you've got a tendinopathy where you have one area that's just not taking all of the load, what they call like a stress shielding effect, most of the time during exercise, that one strong area is just taking all of the load. But if you do something like an isometric where now you have to hold a load over a long period of time, you start employing some of the other soft tissue fibers into that mix because of the tissues uh, moving over time, what they call tissue creep. And then in theory is that that may then remodel uh, some of those areas. And by having the collagen there, they don't know if it's the peptides from the collagen or because you're doing exercise and you're getting more blood flow or you've got some of the glycine and some of the building blocks to increase it. But again, the, let's say the, 
the con to that research is most of it's ex vivo uh, models. Uh, they did do one with athletes and a rate of force development, but it's really hard to get samples of soft tissue biopsies, right? So <laughs> we can't yeah. go in there and grab from a human, hey, let's grab part of your soft tissue and see what actually <laughs> happened to it. Yeah. Um, but I also look at what's the downside. You know, isometrics you're holding for, you know, pretty short, 30 seconds. You know, collagen, yeah, it's an expense, but if it doesn't work, you didn't really make anything worse. Yeah. Right? If it does work, yeah, I've seen some pretty crazy results with it so far. So that may be something to people to look at. And last part that I got to drop off is that um, certain medications, uh, like fluoroquinolones, like um, they appear to result in higher tendon ruptures. Uh, so Leviquin is one of them. If people ever get prescriptions for that, just be aware of that because that's happened. There's got a fair amount of case reports and some mechanistic research on that now, too. And again, you've got that and you've also got just there's weird stuff with Achilles tendon. There's some people who think that it doesn't remodel the same as other tendons, that you may have this center part that just never gets turned over and you apply a high rate of force and then it goes. And so it's, yeah, I mean, Tony Genocor blew his like a while ago. Brian Cron, you know, did his. It's, it just seems like as you get older, it becomes more possible, I guess. Not a guarantee, but it's one of those things that just, and when it goes, like I've been in the room when another guy years ago blew his. Holy shit. That's loud. (laughs) Yeah, it goes. It doesn't, yeah. Yeah, we're like, we heard a loud snap and we look over and he's like holding his leg and then almost instantly his like just swelled like crazy. We're like, oh shit, seminar's over. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Another one for me with this whole deal was, uh, and I'm glad I've went through things and was able to help with that, is people don't realize that your ortho you're their client and you yes. can choose them or not so, choose them <laughs> or not choose them. Yeah. And like, like basically she got referred to and assigned somebody and they're like, yeah, so we'll just put a boot on you for six weeks and you'll be good. You'll probably walk again. I was like, no, probably. no, go, go, you know, leave. You don't have to go to her. You referred to like me with my, with my birth, first bicep surgery. I just went to whoever they sent me to. And yeah, I recovered from it, but it was, uh, you know, I lost a bunch of, uh, pronation stimulation in that arm. And I learned from that. So number two is like, okay, I'm going to look around. And then by the time I was to my hip, I just went and interviewed doctors. It was the vice, it was the opposite of getting referred. Like I went and I fired three people before I found the one I wanted. So, and that's something you can do. And people don't realize that in the medical field. Like, Go until you find the person that fits you and wants and is an understanding where you want to be like Gina. She's in her 20s and it's like you need to find somebody that's willing to give you a surgery that lets you that'll get you back your life that you wanted. So uh, if you guys if anybody listening ever has some kind of surgery, it's like just it's okay to be choosy about who who your physician is. So. Uh, last part is that make sure to ask around for even just referrals. Yeah. Um, and if you know people in the medical industry, that's even better. Or odds are you may know someone who knows someone. Yeah. I mean, I'm lucky. My sister's a nurse, an ethicist. She works <laughs> at 
TCO where they, you know, do a lot of the Vikings players and she's put a few of them to sleep before and stuff. So yeah. if you talk to people in the industry, they'll be like, uh, and she works at multiple hospitals too, uh, some other local places. She's like, yep, that guy or gal, really good. Go to them. Yeah, their communication not so good, but they're amazing surgeons. Or that's, yeah, do that's not how... go to that person; they're a butcher. <laughs> good surgeons in general are like hard to talk to. Usually, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I like them. They, like, most of them are super blunt. Oh yeah, which yeah. I don't mind. That it's like give no. me the truth. You know, I'd rather hear the truth than you sugarcoat this shit. You know, but most of them are very, very hard to deal with. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause at the end of the day, they, a lot of the better ones I've noticed are very picky about your physical therapy, what you do beforehand, what you do after, yeah. because in their head, which makes total sense is like, I don't want you messing up my work. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, it doesn't because make sense. They're literally paid for their results and they could do yep. the best surgery possible. But if the therapy and everything else is not so good on the back end or you're not going to do it, yeah. Eh, that's not going to look, you know, they're going to probably blame the surgeon, unfortunately. Exactly. Not the fact that, oh, yeah, I didn't do any of my rehab. I didn't do any of the rehab. So. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. See you guys. Yep. Have a good one. Good night. So. Oh, yeah. yeah I actually have your world. I was just going to say, I haven't had actually that much experience working with tendon tears and ruptures. Yeah, I haven't lucky. had too many. Definitely lucky because. That was probably one of the more common injuries in CrossFit. CrossFit, it was. Yeah, that's where I've seen most of my Achilles blows. It's like box jumps and double unders. Yep. Uh, and so, particularly box jumps, like, mm-hmm. I think I I honestly, pretty much after the first year, kind of nixed the box jump thing. And it wasn't even because of the Achilles. Like, I didn't – that part I started seeing, but it was actually because – People use like the box for some reason, like box jumps. People like honed in on box jumps as like a huge victory. Yeah. Like, you know, getting on a box. And so they would constantly choose the wrong height of box. And then people would like, I remember this one lady, she, you know, fell on her shins, scraped the box and like had, there was like a glob of skin. Just. <laughs> Skin, some hair in there, like it was gross. So I had to like, and I was like, it just wasn't worth it. So I stopped early. Any of the box jump stuff, even for competitors, like most of the year, we never did too much of the rebounding box jumps. Yeah, especially for high reps, which I always thought was silly, but it, it is what it is. But um, but other than that, I really haven't worked with a ton of tendon tears. I I would ask. Because you've had a lot of stuff done. Is mm-hmm. anything in particular you do for prevention and um, just general like tendon strength? Because there is some stuff you can kind of work on here and there. But. Yeah, I think a lot of it is listening to your body. Like my first one, I learned from it because basically the first one was totally my fault. Because for months, my elbow had been killing me and my shoulder. Oddly enough, it was a lot in my shoulder, and I had no clue that that was referral pain from my tendon. Uh, yeah. So my first one, my bicep had slowly been, like, fraying, and I just kept pushing it. And the day it happened, like, it was hurting like a son of a bitch. And I I went ahead and picked up a 350-pound Atlas stone, and that did, did it in. Um, but other than that, I learned, like, 
it's one of those big things, and this is what I was talking to Gina about, is people don't realize that tendons progress a lot slower than muscle. And this is why you see a lot of people that are, they go on uh, anabolics and they fucking blow the fuck up really fast and then they blow tendons. Um, it's because that muscles progress so much faster than the tendon can handle. But, and you stretch out in, uh, in the long term, as somebody that's not on anabolics, you know, you still get that. It's just not to that degree. But taking some time with boring shit, uh, Slow eccentrics and things like that. Stuff that's more targeted to the strength of that tendon. Um, and like Mike said, some isometrics. Or for me, it's doing the shit that is boring as hell. Like, I hate curls. <laughs> but but I, yeah. I started doing those, especially after my second bicep tear. I was like, oh, fuck, okay, I better do this shit. You know? Yeah. Um, just some stuff to ID what's going on there. And then my hamstring, that was just... That was totally due to my hip replacement and trying to learn how to walk on two legs again. And basically everything was going fine. And then my body reverted back to, I was halfway through a rep with 630 or something like that, 645. And I had been doing well training my body to be on two legs again. And uh, halfway through that rep, everything shifted off of my hip replacement leg. So I had 645 pounds on one leg. And that's when that one went. And that was just... No, you could call it a freak accident or whatever, but, uh, yeah, just taking some time, and it's one of those things, I don't know, the bad part about it is, like, I can tell everybody about this stuff, as somebody who's experienced tendon ruptures, but a lot of people just don't listen. You don't listen until it happens to you, um, type of thing, and that's just like we talked about a long time, like, we all did stupid shit when we started training, and we learned from that. And, uh, it's, I don't know, some of that shit you can't skip. It's like you have to learn it yourself. Um, now we can pass that on. Like I try and pass on, you know, my knowledge of going through these things. And that's, it has changed a lot of <clears throat> the programming I do because, and so it's, it gave me a lot longer term outlook. It's like, because it's hard to be strong when you're injured. So it's made me with my clients like, yeah, okay, so we could add 50 pounds to your squat in four months. But my chances of injury due to what we have to do to get there goes up drastically. Whereas if we slow that down a little bit, why don't we shoot for six months or eight months? And then it drastically cuts the the injury rate down. And then the longevity of the athlete. So, Yeah, I just had some... Younger athletes, because basically I wouldn't let them essentially go too heavy every single day. Yes. And it's like, and and like I said, I, you and me both, but it's like we've done that where it's like the huge progress in, you know, strength. Now, fortunately for me, I haven't had a ton of injuries like that, but I started shifting my, um, kind of belief, I'd call it a belief system, I guess, but my system of training. Mm-hmm. to it's like you train at the same intensity percentages for a long time but that's yes. like conditioning not only your body and you'll get you're getting stronger like people just don't trust it yeah you know what i mean and like especially one people i've actually even talked to or not even talked to but i have talked to some but who've even mentioned like tendon stuff like in general mm-hmm. particularly for strength and conditioning um 
people with like a gymnastics background. So there's a guy, Carl, he owns a, I think it's CrossFit Cerberus in Blue Springs now, but he's like the highest level gymnastics coach you can get to. Okay. And a big, a big part of gymnastics training and their strength and conditioning stuff is isometric stuff, which is, they don't call it isometric stuff, but like holds and yeah. stuff like that. And then high rep stuff to condition the joints and tendons. Mm-hmm. And then Louie actually is starting the show with that, but where Louie had you do like the one I remember is like the banded leg curls where yeah. you have you do like sets of 200 reps. And it's like, that's for tendon ligament conditioning and yes. whatever. It burns like a motherfucker, but <laughs> yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, like, it, it's that kind of stuff. And I hadn't heard any of that until then. And I still don't. It's like a very small discussion point. Oh, and Coach Bros. I got to give credit to Coach Bros. Too. Yeah, Coach it's not Bros flashy. Is, it's not fun. That stuff yeah. is not fun. Um, but it has its place. And, you know, it's that type of stuff is probably, it's injuries like that is the main thing that pushed me towards, like, I don't know, something that I call like the 10 year athlete. Like, I want people to give a decade. You yeah. Know? And if you won't do that, then you're not that serious about the sport. And a, another big part of that was me looking over history and looking at the greats that were, like like Eddie Cohn and things like that. If you look at him over a long career, like, he did, he wasn't a flash in the pan. He was training for decades and then, you know, made his splash and set these records that like nobody touches. And it's like, and nowadays you don't see that. You see all these people coming up super fast and like, Oh, they're going to be great. And then they're gone. Uh, and I think a lot of that, it's the injury rate. It's just, and it's like, like Ed talks about, and it's like, you only have so many max effort lifts in your, in you. Like you have an odometer on how many reps you can do in your life before just bad shit starts to happen. So he just never took those in the gym. He saved them all for the platform. It was all, you know, percentage training other than that. Like, if I hit these numbers, it's there, like you're talking about. And he's just trusting the process. And part of that slower process, we're not even sure if it's slower. It's just not as instantly yeah, not, gratifying. You know? Not flashy at all. Yeah, it's not and, flashy. It's boring. But the injury and that, rate plummets. And, and that's... So that was always the big thing between the Russian and Bulgarian training styles. It's like those Bulgarian athletes would be done almost dead by 25, 26. Like their yeah. careers are over. Yeah. And they would just keep re, you know, remaking them, but not remaking them. But the Russians, like, uh, Taranenko, his last world record, he was like 36 or something like yeah. that. Which is ancient these guys, in weightlifting. Yeah. These guys would be, you know, competitive until they're 40. Yeah. And like kind of a big deal. So. Um, but yeah, I, I shifted my philosophy to that even towards like the beginning of process. Like people get, he's like, you can make people really good, really fast. And it works on Instagram and for marketing, but mm -hmm. taking a step back and like just being like, all right, I'm not going to force big time strength on anyone. And I don't need the, the extra, like that quick quick hit result and like take your time, get strong over time, avoid all the injuries or the majority of them. 
and even for us, like we seem, it seems like we do like crazy shit, but really we do really basic, easy. So that our average intensity is like 70%. Like yeah. and you really get into the Russian techs and stuff like that. That's what they base their whole careers on. It's like they work backwards from a total that they expect or that they want. The Chinese do it too now, but, but they're not going crazy heavy in training. Like yes. hardly ever. I think the first time I heard a story like this was the, what, ah, what was her name? She was, she was like 105 kilos, um, like Russian heavyweight girl mm-hmm. who was just dominating recently. And then she got popped, of course, but. Oh, yeah, that was, uh, what's her name? God, she was really good. She was a heavyweight, right? Well, she ended up going heavyweight, I think. Yeah, but she was a heavyweight, but she was only 105. Cause I remember yes. like one year, there's a year when we had, a. Ethan on the team and he was in the 105 kilo class and did really well, but she would have meddled in the men's 105 kilo yes. class with whatever total she had. It's like, yeah. God. But her coach talked about her never missing a lift in training ever. It's her right here. It is, um, I got her picture up here. I don't remember her name. Oh, it's not showing her. And it's like, look, drugs help. Tatiana. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And, but they're, the, that training style in particular, that's kind of what the Plan Strong seminar is about. If you want to get real super nerdy, how to write programs like that, but like training at an appropriate percentage and like really just practicing lifts and making lifts. And her coach talking about that she hasn't missed a lift in, it was like some crazy, like, Four or five years. Like, she doesn't miss lifts in training. Yes. But it's because they train at a percentage, like, all the time. Yeah. And she only missed, you know, one or – and she usually didn't miss at comps either, but that's why she was crazy good. But Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it just – like, that reinforced, like, oh, you don't have to, like, chase the weights. Like, yes. let your body kind of come – like, grow into the weights as you – Start hitting it. Yeah, the only hard part about that is then, and it's something that I had to gain over the years, you have to just trust the process. Oh, yeah. Like, because, like, I can't think of a meet that I've done in recent history, let's say the last 15 years. Uh, Early on when I started, like, I I would hit my PRs in the gym. And then I'd know, okay, I can do it on, and that's what I'd hit in a meet. But over the last probably 15 years, like all the lifts I hit in meets, uh, I, I never did in the gym. It's just, I knew, but I knew they were there. I did them mentally in the gym, which is different. Like when I'm training up, when I was training up for this last meet, I hit 776 or whatever. I never went over, uh, 715 or something like that in training. So another 50 pounds in the meet. All the lifts I did in training mentally, I was thinking about seven. 76 or 780 or 800, but I didn't do it. So, and you have to have this trust in your head. Like you have to trust the program and know, okay, I did the work. It's there. I just got to do it. Um, yeah, I just had this experience with Jess. And so, and some people early on that tears up, they get scared of it, you know, because I've never, oh, it's a weight I've never done. And it's like, dude, it's just another weight. You just have to view weights as another weight. As long as you're not doing it. like if I'd have loaded a thousand on the bar, that's just me being stupid. Uh, <laughs> three hundred more than my total. 
You're like, I should not think I can fucking do that. But as long as it's within the realm of possibility, it's just, just don't let that weight on you mentally and just, just have faith in yourself and like, okay, I'm going to go do this. And it's what you do. But it's like you said, a lot of that is gained in the training program, like Tatiana's, where you just don't miss in training. Like, no fucking misses. Uh, and over time, that really mentally makes you strong as shit because all you do, that's all you know. Like, all you know is winning. Um, it's just like sports teams that get on a, on a roll, you know, they've won 14 games in a row. Like all they fucking know is winning. So they're shocked when they lose because they're so used to that. And that bleeds into a mentality that's very strong. So, yeah. And the other part too, and I think the only way you kind of learn this is by competing, like going to competitions consistently, at least in weightlifting, it might not be true in powerlifting this same way. But the platform weights never feel like training weights. And I just had this experience with Jess going to nationals where it's like in training and they get mad at me all the time. Cause I'm like, I'm like, dude, just chill out. The weight on the bar doesn't matter. We're just practicing the drill, like the actual, you know, footwork, the drills, like we're, it's not a big deal. Whatever weights on the bar today, that's what needs to be on the bar today. Yeah. And I go, like, oh, this is true. But her snatches felt terrible. Whole training cycle. We're doing tons of snatches. Sanchez felt terrible. Things just felt good. Mm-hmm. But we get to the meet and it's like, oh, snatches are going. Like they're <laughs> yeah. cooking. And then she gets to a weight that's there, but it's like, oh, well, I haven't. And it's like, okay. And then, you know, missed the last weight, even though she, you know, had it in the right spot, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, which would have been a PR and everything. It's like, oh, well, I hadn't been, you know, my training, the snatches fell off. And then all of a sudden I get to the platform, it's different. The mm-hmm. platform is a completely different scenario. It is. Yeah. So it's like the way you approach the lift, everything, like your intensity, your adrenaline, everything changes when you get to the platform yep. internally. Yes. And so you're, you're training at a more kind of lowered mental, like just a more, a less heightened emotional situation in training. Yeah. And so it's like you have to, and really just lifting, you're just practice those reps are just practice 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 yep. and if you trust it the weights will be there and like you'll probably feel better even like when you go into it the less the the more you can stay away from those two heavy weights in training it's like the more progress you can make in general yeah no that's that can't be understated like the platform is it's just magical and you can't like i've tried you can't yeah. You can't fake that atmosphere. You can't remake it in the gym, no matter what you do. You know, you can't crank on music. You can't get people screaming for you that gives you that same level. Um, but I'm sure it's the same in every sport. Like, I don't know, the NFL. Like, they go to practice. Yeah, they're training hard. Something different happens the minute they run out of that runway onto a field in front of 30,000 people. You know, they are at a different level. And you can't remake that level. In, in training. So, and part of that is, uh, okay, in this game time, it's time to just trust the process. And I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Uh, and usually most people compete on the platform at about a 10% rate higher than in training, just automatically, as long as they, they're mentally tough enough to do that, as long as their head doesn't get them. But, uh, and you just can't fake that atmosphere. You know, I always know I have this trust and now it's like, okay, I hit that. That was kind of tough, but I know that's going to be easy. I just mentally know 
in my heart of hearts that oh, that'll be easy on the platform because the way it feels on training, because I know how I react to the platform. And it's just, it's going to be there. But so. Yeah, it's a, coaching people's emotions to commit oh, yeah. to that process. Yeah, that's the tough part. Well, I mean, that's the hardest part about training. That's like I was talking to Jude about shutting down the gym. And he's like, people don't understand the work, the work in in the strength and conditioning field and how how much it just wears on coaches because you're not just a coach. I mean, the coaching aspect of the job is the easiest. It's the, you're also a psychologist and a friend and, you know, <laughs> learning how all these people work and trying to memorize that. And it's like, it's a full time. It's more than a full time job. Yeah. Uh, so. Can't leave uh, it at work. Got to take it with you. Exactly. It's like you live it, and that's 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 part of it, man. So, all right. Well, we will call it a day right there, and I hope you guys enjoyed the show. We're still going to be coming at you every week, and we will uh, talk to you later. <laughs>